uh, John chapter 16. I won't spend a lot of time reviewing, but we are doing a series on the Holy Spirit. We looked at the promise of the Holy Spirit earlier here in this uh, Gospel of John, John 14 and 15. We saw the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We saw the person of the Holy Spirit, that He is a divine person, He is a person, and that He is a sensitive person, and how He moves and works in our lives. And and now we're going to be looking at the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be spending quite a bit of time on this for the next number of weeks. But... I want you to notice in the very beginning teaching of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit, he reveals to us really one of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit in the, in the world, in, to those who are unbelievers even, and what the purpose is of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll spend some time, quite a bit of time, on the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the, in the lives of those who have accepted Christ to those who believe. But for this week, we want to look at what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit when Jesus spoke about His purpose to the world. And this is really, it shows the heart of God. It shows where God's heart is and how He desires to have relationship and fellowship with all mankind, with all men. And so if you notice... Jesus was with his disciples, as we've been already studying this. He was with his disciples in the upper room. And this is near the end of his time. In John 14, he says, I'm going to be leaving. And he says, but don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, you know, if you believe in God, believe, believe also in me. And he, he, can, he comforts them. And he says, hey, by the way, I'm sending you another comforter. Now, notice what he says here in John 16. Now, remember, this is all Jesus with his disciples his last words before he's getting ready to go to the cross. And notice what he says, and we'll begin in verse number 7. He says this, But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Now they probably didn't understand this at first, and they're thinking, why would you say it's best for you to go away? They've just spent years with Jesus, walking and talking and ministering and serving and giving their life literally to the ministry and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, but it is best for you that I go away. Notice what he says, why? Because if I don't, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, the counselor, he says the comforter, he says the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now notice the purpose of the Holy Spirit. What's some of the things that the Holy Spirit is going to do here here on earth? What is he going to do in this world? He says, and when he comes, he will notice this, convict the world of its sin. Okay, he's going to convict the world of its sin. The word convict there, different versions will use different words. You can use the word convict. You can, some versions will use the word reprove. Some words are that, that all mean the same thing, to prove, to prove the world of its sin and of, of God's righteousness. And notice this, of what? Coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I, Jesus is righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And judgment will, be, will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. And so Jesus says this. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And here is really some of the first teachings of 
the words of Christ on the purpose of the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? He, we know that he's to come to comfort and, and all of those things. But he says, hey, let me remind you something. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to do a work in this world. To convince people that of who I am. To convince people to prove to people who I am. To convict them. To convict the world of, of sin. To convict the, the world of the righteous one who is Jesus and to convict the world of judgment to come, that there is judgment. Now let me ask you this question. Are these the words of Jesus Christ, yes or no? Yes. Who has all authority? Does Jesus Christ have full authority? Yes. Do we believe the Bible, yes or no? We believe the Bible. We believe the word of God as it's spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the living word And we believe the written word. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm going to tell you what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. And by the way, how beautiful it is that Jesus said, I have to go. In order for the Holy Spirit to come, I have to go. Now understand, we believe in the Trinity, right? We sang about it earlier. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and what's the third? The Holy Spirit. We have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was God in the flesh. We believe that. Emmanuel, God with us, he was God in the flesh. But understand this, although Jesus was 100% God, he was also 100% man. It's hard for us to comprehend this, but this is what we do understand, that Jesus took upon himself flesh. And although he was God, and although he was divine, and he had all power and all authority, he was limited within his body, meaning he could only be at one place at one time. And that is why Jesus said to his disciples, it's better for me to go, because that way I will send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and when he comes, remember what he taught, he says he will be with you and he will be in you, and everywhere you go, the Spirit will be with you. And so Jesus said, that there's one who's coming who will be with you, who will be in you. One who, it is the spirit of God. Amen? And that spirit is not limited by flesh. It is not limited, cannot be at one place at one time. And so he says, I must go so that the spirit can come. And we saw that he promised the Holy Spirit here in these passages, and the Holy Spirit has come. And God kept his word. But he says, this is what the Spirit will do in this world. To those who do not know him, to those who are not followers, he says he will reprove or he will prove or he will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of the righteous one and he will convict and prove to the world that there is judgment to come. What does he mean by reprove the world of sin? It's interesting because immediately many times people will say, Well, you know, see, we need to blast people all the time, you know. By the way, can I say this? Aren't you thankful that God sent the Holy Spirit and that you and I do not have to be the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Now, we have to try to convince some Christians to not be the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you are saying, well, what do you mean by that? There's a lot of Christians, a lot of people that think it's their job to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. 
that we're going to let them have it. And we're going to tell, you know, that is, can I just say this? It is not our job. Listen to me, let me say this again. It is not my job, Pastor Joe's job. It's not your job. It's not any follower of Jesus Christ's job to convict the world of sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit, by the way, the Holy Spirit will do a pretty good job of that. He says he will convince the world of their condition. He will convince the world it is his job and is what the Holy Spirit does. But many times as Christians, we try to take it upon ourselves. And you know what really is interesting to me is notice what sin the Holy Spirit is concerned about. He says in this passage, when we read here, he says that he will convince or reprove the world of sin. But notice what he says. He doesn't stop there. He later goes on. He says, what was the sin? He says, because they do not what? Believe in me. All right, I'm going to make some enemies. You guys ready for this? I'm good at making enemies. You know what most Christians, most churches... We're so, we have a, a sin or two or three that we're so, we want to let the whole world know about. And this is the sin. This is the one that we're, you know, fill in the blank. Okay, let's just be honest. Can we just be real? Can we just be honest? What's happening right now on the news constantly? What's the big hot topic right now? What's the political thing? What is it? Abortion. Can I tell you something? And and again, I'm going to make enemies, but it's okay because I'm just going to preach the word and use the words of Jesus Christ himself. Can I just say this? That when he says that he sent the Holy Spirit to reprove the world of sin, it doesn't say the sin of abortion. Is it there? Yes or no? Do I believe that abortion is a sin? Yes, I do. Do I believe that lying is a sin? Yes, I do. Do I believe that pride is a sin? Yes, I do. Do we believe that that cheating and, and murder is a sin? Yes, yes, we do. But can I tell you something? Yes, those are all sins. But you know the sin that the Spirit of God moves and works and is most concerned about is this. The sin that the Spirit of God is moving and working in people's hearts and lives is simply to say this. Is that, listen, the greatest sin that there is is the sin of unbelief. Not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I found? Instead of trying to convince people to agree with where we believe politically or what we believe in in all of these other areas is honestly, absolutely, sorry, but it really, it, it pales in comparison to the most important thing. And that is this, is that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the spirit of God will come inside of you and change a lot of those things. And once a person falls in love with Jesus Christ and falls in love with the Word of God, then can I tell you something? They're going to probably lie a lot less, cheat a lot less. Most likely they're not going to go out and kill people. 
And they're going to start changing the way they believe. But here's the problem. We're more consumed and we're so caught up with trying to go out and convict, if you will, the world of their sins. But we're not really dealing with the hard issue. And the hard issue is this, is what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Because that's far more important. How sad it is that there will be people who maybe live really moral lives, maybe have all the right stances, quote-unquote right stances, whatever that right stance happens to be about certain issues, but they can still die without Jesus Christ. He says... The Spirit will reprove. He will convict the world of who Jesus Christ is, of their sin of unbelief. He says he will reprove the world of the righteous one. It's interesting. John 6 says it like this. He says that, that no man, he says, he says that no man can come to him except God draw them. And so what happens is this, is that there's the, there is a supernatural thing that's happening in this world. And that is this, that there is the Spirit of God. And there is the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, that is at work in this world. And by the way, he's at work in this community too, amen? And it is drawing people to himself. In theology and study, we, we see it like this. And I don't even have time to go into all of it, but I'll just roughly just throw it out there. And that is that all the way back in the book of Psalms 19, verse 1, we have what's called general revelation, meaning this, is that God speaks. In Psalm 19, he says this, that the heavens declare the glory of God, that the heavens speak. And it says that the sky above, that it, it, it demonstrates the handiwork of God. Do you understand that, that God has put out there, in essence, general revelation, meaning that the heavens speak. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And it says that, it, that his creation, it speaks of the invisible things of God. And that through creation, God speaks. How does God speak? He speaks through his creation and through the heavens. But it's the spirit that speaks to the soul of mankind that there is a God. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes that God has placed in every single person a belief in God. And he says that he has set eternity in their hearts. And so that spirit draws them, that spirit moves, that spirit works. That when you go out and you look up into the heavens, it declares, it speaks. And what's interesting is this, is the word is present tense, meaning this, that the heavens and the skies declare the glory of God and they continually declare and they constantly speak that there is a creator, there is a God. Do you understand that Einstein's theory and physics, the more they study and the more they, they understand. At one time, scientists once believed, they once believed that the universe was eternal. But there is not a, anyone in science that now will say that, that the universe is eternal because it had to have a beginning. It had to begin. And then all of a sudden they came up with the idea 
of the Big Bang Theory. And that's where it all began. But at one time, science said this, that the universe was eternal, that it always existed. But now science is caught up to the Bible that there had to be. Listen to me, science teaches there must be a beginning. Well, you and I know what that beginning is. It was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You say, do you believe in the Big Bang Theory? Absolutely, I do. God said it and bang, there it was. <laughs> you can study. Listen to me, you study. If you do some look and some research and study and look at planets and look at the stars and look at satellites and look... God is, God is an awesome God because if there was truly a big bang, an explosion that caused things, everything would be rotating, revolving the same way. But do you know that there, the scientists can't explain it? Some are going this way and some are going that way. It's impossible. It's impossible. God has a sense of humor. And the scientists have to keep scratching their head And by the way, if you believe that something came from nothing, it takes a whole lot more faith to believe that than to believe that there was not an intelligent creator or designer behind all of this. Amen? And that when you look out and you see the stars and when you see the heavens, when you see the beauty and the creation, that God speaks. General revelation, divine revelation, the word of God. And then God uses you and I to be his instruments, praise him, to share the good news. But the Spirit is always at work. The Holy Spirit speaks and moves and works. Look with me in John 15. We'll have a couple verses here. John 15, 26 and 27, it says this. Jesus says, but I will send you. This is just a... Just A few paragraphs before, he says, I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father. Notice what he will do. He will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me. What does the spirit do? He testifies about Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. He says, but you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. So I love this because Jesus says to disciples, yes, and we know what the Great Commission, he says, go and be my witnesses. But he says, understand this, that the Spirit is also testifying of me. He says, you have a responsibility to go out and testify. But he also tells us that the Holy Spirit is already out there doing a work. You see, Jesus in his ministry and Jesus demonstrated this. Jesus would, would, would share the good news. His disciples then followed his example. They would take the good news. But the Spirit of God is the one who does the work. And it's the Holy Spirit that moves and works in the hearts of people. And may I say this? Many times the Spirit will work in people who we least expect. Through the Bible, there's so many of these examples, but there's probably none greater than the example of a man by the name of Saul. Saul of Tarsus. Saul who hated Christians. Saul who persecuted Christians. We read last week the stoning of Stephen, a man filled with faith and filled with the Holy Spirit. And remember, they stoned him, and and there was Saul. 
And he was all a part of it. And holding their coats and giving orders. And it says that he had marching orders to go and to get more Christians and to put them in prison. He was not a believer in Jesus Christ. He wanted nothing to do with it. He was opposing Christ. And what happens on the road to Damascus? Yes, it was the Holy Spirit working in his life. But he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me? And what do we see? We see that Saul, his heart was softened, right? And he comes to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when God sends a messenger and he says, go to this man named Saul, he says, are you serious? Like this guy's, are you sure you want me to go talk to him? And he goes. You know, many times we, we think that there's lost causes or this person can't come to Christ or that. Can I tell you something? It is not our job to play the Holy Spirit. You'd be surprised sometimes who, God's, who God is working on and who God is speaking to. Sometimes it's the least that you'd ever expect. The Holy Spirit is at work. Matthew 16, 14 through 18. Matthew 16, 14 through 18. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter. This is all building up to very, something very important. Notice what he says. He says this. Because Jesus asked this question. He says, who do people say that I am? Who, who do people think that I am? And this is what they said. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Remember, John was just beheaded for for his testimony, for his witness. Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven, notice this, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, not Peter, but upon his profession and faith, upon what he said, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. By the way, the church, the true church of Jesus Christ has always stood firm. It did not go away and come back. Are you with me, guys? It didn't go away and come back. Because if it did, then the Bible is not true. Is God's word true? Do you know that there's teaching that says that the church failed, the church faltered, it went away, and so there has to become a new church to come to take over that church? May I say to you, that is not what the Bible says. That is not what Jesus Christ himself said. Jesus Christ himself said, upon this profession of faith that Peter made, I, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Somebody say amen. It was purchased with the blood, his own blood. The Bible says that he purchased the church with his blood. And what does Jesus say? He says, I will build my church. And can I say to you, I love this promise. He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church has never failed. 
We maybe have failed the church, but the church has never failed. God has never failed. He says that he made a promise. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that awesome? That's why we're here today, amen? The church has stood the test of time. The true church. What is the true church? The true church is this. All those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. All followers of Jesus Christ are a part of his church. Amen? And he said this. The gates of hell have not prevailed against it. That is a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we sit here today as evidence and proof that God's word is true and that Jesus Christ is not a liar. And so he says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. God's spirit Revealed it to you. The scripture is very clear that anything that we can understand or obtain or glean from the word of God comes from the spirit of God. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to skip around a little out of order, but for those up there. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. We have just a couple more passages. Just bear with me. But I really want you to grasp this. I really want you to get this. He says, He will also reprove the world of judgment or judgment to come. But I want you to understand in 1 Corinthians 2, I want to just give you a couple more passages, but really let these, the words of the Bible sink in. Because we have to come to this reality that that humanly speaking, we cannot truly comprehend the word of God. That this book is a spiritual book. The word of God is a spiritual book. And that many times what we do is we just read it like it's a textbook. But this book is supernatural. It is divinely God-breathed, inspired by God. It is a spiritual book. And that many times people have no clue, no understanding, because they don't have the spiritual glasses, so to speak, the lenses to see through. And so what happens is this, is they don't, they don't understand. But anything that we receive and we get comes from the Spirit of God. This promise that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus said will come, will reveal the truth to us. And notice what he says. Paul says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything. I love this. I would forget everything except what? Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness and in timid trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, 
The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scripture means when they say, no eye has seen nor ear heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things. How? How did he reveal these things to us, he said? By his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one, no one can know a person's thought except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. And when we tell you these things, we not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. Notice that. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. The idea is this. Clearly, the Scripture says that unless the Holy Spirit gives us and guides us and leads us and shows us the the, the Word of God, we can't comprehend it. We can't understand it. By the way, isn't it a beautiful thing to have the Holy Spirit? To show us and to teach us and to guide us and to lead us. But anything anything that we receive, if you will, spiritually speaking is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And it's only the Spirit that can reveal it to us. We can't know the mind of God, but the Spirit knows the mind of God. Look with me in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. He was a very religious man. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. So let me ask you, was this a religious man? Yes. Did he believe in God? Yes. His name is Nicodemus, ruler of the Pharisees. Okay? When it means rule of the Pharisees means he was most likely a part of what's called the Sanhedrin, which was the 70 most powerful, most spiritual people in the Jewish culture on planet Earth. They're the most educated. They made the decisions. They were the spiritual gurus of the day. And for a Jewish person to be a part of the Sanhedrin, to be a Pharisee, by the way, the Apostle Paul was one of them. He said he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Most likely, the Apostle Paul also was one of these men. Yet the Apostle Paul, who believed in God, was still blind. He believed in a God and believed in God But he was not a follower of Jesus Christ. We see a man here named Nicodemus, a very religious man, a man who knew the the, the scriptures. 
And he comes to Jesus by night. Notice this. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Why do you think he came at night to go speak to Jesus? Because of his position. Because of his power and his position and who he was. He had to have a secret meeting with Jesus. Because if, man, if I go talk with Jesus and, man, people find out. They're going to, boy, I'm in big trouble. I'm going to lose my position. I'm going to lose my power. I'm in big trouble. So he goes to speak with Jesus. But here's the thing. The Spirit of God was working in his heart and in his life. And he says, Rabbi, he said. And he even acknowledges, get this. He acknowledges that everyone else has had this discussion We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Isn't it interesting? He kind of admits that everyone knew who he really was, but they just didn't want to accept who he was. It was a willful rejection of who Jesus Christ was. Jesus replied, listen to these words. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this question. According to Jesus Christ, how is the only way you can come into the kingdom of God? By being what? Born again. Being born again. He says this is the only way you can be entered into the kingdom, by being born again. He says... Nicodemus, he says, you know, what do you mean, Nicodemus says? How can that old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? You know, he's like, how can we physically do that? You know, poor Nicodemus, he's just struggling here. Understand he didn't, because this was confusing to him. Jesus replied, I assure you, I assure you, no one, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised. Hey, Nicodemus, don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. He says three times here, three times in a few verses, the only way to enter into God's kingdom is to be born again. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, especially in Cedar City and Enoch. (laughs) The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it, where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. But he says you must be born of the water and you must be born of the Spirit. And what's really sad is this, is that so many people have taken that and misinterpreted the Word of God. You know what they teach? That you have to be baptized and that water washes away sin. Water cannot wash away anyone's sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can. And he was not saying that you must be water baptized. That's not what he's saying. If you look in the context, he says this. He says you have to be born physically. That's your first birth. And each one of us here, we have been born physically. We're here, right? 
And what happens? I'm not trying to be gross here, but it happens. What happens at birth? What happens right before the child is born? What happens? The water breaks. That's the being born of water. The water breaks. That's what he's speaking of. He says there's a physical birth, but he says just as much as there's a physical birth, there must be a spiritual birth. You must be born again spiritually. And so is. As real as physical birth is, spiritual birth is the same. So you must be born again. There must be a spiritual birth that takes place, and that's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. But it does not take place when a person's baptized. My family grew up, and I won't name the type or what it was, but my family and my heritage growing up We were born into certain type of religion. And you know what they said? You have to be sprinkled and you have to be baptized as an infant, as a baby. And that washes away your original sin. I still can't find that anywhere in the Bible. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying it wasn't there. And so you have to be baptized to wash away original sin. But can I tell you again, the scripture is very clear. That it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus does not say you have to be baptized to be born again. Jesus said that it's a spiritual work of God. A supernatural believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Accepting Jesus Christ, believing upon him. He says you, he says you will be born again. By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. It's a promise from God. One last passage, 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 8. Chapter (laughs) 2. 3. Yes, 3. There we go. I told you I was going to bounce around a little bit. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I'm a follower of Paulus, aren't you acting just like people of the world? He says, after all, who is Apollos? And Paul's speaking even of himself. He says, who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But don't you love this? But who? But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded For their own hard work. All through scripture we see that the spirit of God is moving and working in people's hearts and lives. Christian, it is not our job to be the Holy Spirit. It is not our job to convert people. Amen? It's the spirit of God that converts people. When a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's a huge relief for me. Because all, all we're supposed to do is just plant the seed. Amen? We plant the seed. We pray. We water. 
we love people and we tell people about the good news, but it's, it's up to the Holy Spirit and up to that individual for them to, to either accept it or reject it. But I can tell you this, that the Holy Spirit is at work. And the Holy Spirit does move and work in people's hearts, in people's lives. And the Bible makes it very clear that it's the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. It's not anything that I can do or anything that you can do to convert or to change someone's heart. Only God can change a person's heart. Amen? We can plant. We can water. We pray. We do those things. But it's up to the Spirit of God. It is not our place to be the Holy Spirit and to try to force people or to make people do things that they're not led to do. It's not our place. I can't turn the light on in people's hearts and lives, right? Neither, neither can you. Yet many times we feel like it's our job, it's my responsibility, and it's not. Let the Holy Spirit do that. What a relief it is to know that, that let God work in people's hearts and lives. And the Holy Spirit does move. The Holy Spirit does work. We have a missionary with us that you could probably talk for hours and hear story after story of how the Holy Spirit works, even sometimes in the most unlikely circumstances. But God's Spirit is moving. The Spirit of God speaks. The Holy Spirit draws. The Holy Spirit works. You might even be here today and you feel that nudging in your heart. It may be the Holy Spirit. In fact, it probably is the Holy Spirit saying, I am, I am, I am God. I am the Son of God. I died for you. Creation speaks. The heavens speak. The Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is at work. And he draws. I can tell you this. I still remember the day that I was born again. You may say, well, how can you know that? How can you know? Oh, I know. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you know. I grew up in church, going to church. I heard the gospel over and over again. I prayed every night and said my prayers. I was religious. My dad was a pastor. But can I tell you something? Just because my dad was a pastor did not mean that I was born again. Just because I went to church every Sunday didn't mean I was born again. And I'll never forget it. We were living in a little town called Turbotville, Pennsylvania, out in the middle of the sticks, in the middle of nowhere. But I'll never forget it. It was a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night, and I don't even remember what was spoke, what was said, but all I knew was this, is that the Holy Spirit began to just really work in my life. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, and I knew that I needed Jesus Christ, and that I needed to accept Him. And I was a young boy. And I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that I needed Jesus, and I knew that I needed a Savior. And that night, that evening, I... I talked to my mother and I knelt down and I, and you don't have to kneel down, but I called out to the Lord Jesus Christ and I said, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Of my, come into my heart. Come into my life. I believe upon you. And from that moment on, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit came into my life and I knew that I was born again. And you know what? All of a sudden, I could understand the Bible. I had an appetite and a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. 
And you can say, well, that ain't real. That ain't real. I'm just telling you what God did in my life. And I can tell you this. I have had the privilege to go on missions trips and be a lot of places. I have talked with people who've grown up in many different religions. I had an interpreter who his father worked for the treasury in Baghdad, Iraq. A man by the name of Yad, who was my interpreter when I went on a missions trip. And I said, how did you become a follower of Jesus Christ? He said, I believed in God. I was a Muslim. I believed in God. During the first Gulf War, someone gave me a Bible. A captain gave me a Bible, and I was an interpreter. A Christian man gave me a Bible. He said, I began to read that Bible. And when I began to read that Bible, that Bible began to read me. And that's the Spirit of God began to move and work in my heart and in my life. And I came to the reality. The Spirit just spoke to me. And the Spirit told me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And he accepted Jesus Christ. And you know what? He became an interpreter. And he became a missionary. And he began to help reach his fellow Muslims with the gospel. I had an opportunity to meet a lot of different people. And it is amazing to hear that, can I tell you this, that the Spirit of God is at work all around the world, regardless of what what religion, what nation people come from, what color of their skin. Can I tell you that God loves them all, and the Spirit of God will move and work, and He will draw them, and He is drawing them. And it's really sad that when I would go to go to the Middle East, that there was even Christians saying, why would you go and try to reach those people? There is no such thing as those people. Amen? They're all loved by God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, whoever believes upon him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word.